<clears throat> well, thank you, Richard. And uh, it's just great to be here at uh, Connecticut Children's. Uh, have a lot of friends here. Uh, obviously, Richard and I go way back. And uh, I, I really appreciate our, our friendship. Uh, pediatrics is small, surgery is a small uh, field. So I feel at home with uh, friends like Don Height, Christine Fink, and the rest of the team. And I want to uh, thank you all for your hospitality. And I look forward to learning more about what you're doing uh, at the conferences uh, later. Uh, you know, Richard, I'm glad you, did, you didn't use the past tense when you said pediatric surgery uh, or surgeon. Uh, I did recertify, so everybody knows this is my disclosure. I did recertify this year. Uh, it had been 10 years, uh, and it was hard. It was really hard. And Richard's right, I'm not practicing anymore, but I still uh, like to be on the wards and in the operating rooms. I also want a special colleague uh, in the audience here, Scott Schoen. Uh, Scott and I uh, practiced together. We're colleagues, and uh, we took care of uh, a child, a family, uh, that's in my book uh, on pages 216 to 218. Uh, Scott was a, a key player, although I didn't call him out. I was worried he'd get the leading role in the film that's going to be made. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> uh, 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 but he, uh, uh, he saved this uh, uh, baby's life, uh, and it was an exit procedure. He was the otolaryngologist. I was the pediatric surgeon, first one we'd ever uh, done and everything went great except uh, you know it's always what is it ABC airway and it was airway and Scott somehow corkscrewed uh, the tiniest endotracheal tube I've ever seen or thought about uh, over over I think over a wire or, or something after two or three times and save that baby's life and uh, I just saw her recently 18 years old, uh, beautiful, going to college in uh, California. And, uh, you know, Scott, I'll, I'll never forget uh, that partnership and what that means. And that's a lot about what's at the heart of uh, my um, uh, uh, talk today. I was trying to think of a catchy title. And I know Jim Schmerling's in the audience. Uh, and Jim is, uh, there he is, a great friend, uh, was a CEO who really took me under his wing when I became a CEO because that was an unlikely uh, career path for me. I had not ever, ever in my wildest dreams thought about being a CEO of a children's hospital or anything, really. I was happy being chief of surgery. That's the greatest job in the world, I think, being chief of surgery at a children's hospital. I, don't, I know there are a lot of pediatricians in the world and you know, being pediatrician in chief, I'm sure, is that satisfying? I never had that opportunity, but being chief of surgery, I loved it. So what? So the title of my th talk is "What Was I Thinking?" and my journey from the OR to the C-suite and lessons learned along the way. And one of those lessons, though, is to find mentors, and I'll come back to that. Uh, but Jim was a mentor uh, because it's a little daunting and uh, worrisome. Uh, did you not pay your vendors, Jim? Uh, here about, uh, <laughs> I'm not sure. I've got a few bucks in my pocket. <laughs> need to pay SunQuest off. Or, uh, uh, Gil, you, you need to work on this. I, mean, I don't know. Uh, 
anyway, at the time, he was a great mentor. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, because I was fresh out of the blocks, and he was a seasoned uh, CEO of a children's hospital and had led uh, uh, a number of great children's hospitals and uh, was someone I could go to when, when I had a question or a problem. And that's tough, you know, when you're trying to be a CEO and in charge and leading, uh, but it's also important to be humble and to be able to find people. And that's true in medicine, I think, across the board, is humility is such a, a crucial um, uh, a crucial quality, a core value uh, to seek help and, and, and friendship. But enough of uh, my sermon, uh, but thank you, Jim, and it's just amazing uh, what's going on here and the team you've put together and all the great doctors and nurses and uh, staff, and uh, you could just feel uh, the excellence here uh, of one of the nation's great children's hospitals. So, uh, you know, I didn't know uh, 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 Dr. Cook, uh, I wish I had, uh, because uh, just hearing Jim's, uh, I mean, Richard's uh, uh, description and then learning uh, where uh, he had been, and he uh, had a lot of the qualities and experiences of my main surgical mentor, who was Dr. Judson Randolph. They had tra both trained at Boston Children's, they had both been in uh, the military and served at uh, Walter Reed Army Medical Center. Uh, and had a passion about pediatric surgeon surgery and, and the pediatric surgeon and uh, were known uh, to uh, have great relationships with the pediatric community and also care for the families uh, holistically and were pioneers in so many ways. So it's an honor for me uh, to give this lecture uh, in, in his name. And uh, so thank you for that uh, honor and, and privilege and I think the uh, mantra that uh, Richard pointed out that pediatric patients are not small adults is really the, at the heart of uh, uh, my book and, and really why I wrote that book. And I hope after you have a chance to, to read it, you'll understand uh, why I did that. So back to my journey uh, from uh, surgeon to CEO and, um, and you know, what was I thinking? Uh, uh, and then some lessons along the way. So, try and pick out which was which, surgeon, CEO. <laughs> well, that uh, was right after I finished my uh, fellowship. And uh, as Richard said, uh, I've been in the same place for almost 34 years now, the last seven as the, the CEO. Uh, but, uh, you know, I did get my start in Boston. Uh, at the, uh, when, I, when I started the Peter Ben Brigham, uh, when I finished it was the Brigham and Women's Hospital, just like Don uh, uh, trained there. And I rotated through uh, Boston Children's and that's where I really um, uh, caught the spark uh, and interest in, in pediatric surgery. And I came to Washington and I just felt right at home and built my career, uh, career there and have worked uh, you know, in the early part of my career to be the best surgeon possible and now to be the best leader possible. Uh, just a little bit about our, uh, uh, you know, the Children's Hospital in our nation's capital. Uh, as I went through the, the ranks of being a pediatric surgeon and then be, uh, becoming chief of surgery, 
you might ask, why did I take that next step of chief of surgery to being a CEO? And it had something to do with uh, the nation's capital and having the biggest impact and being able to take some of the ideas I had as a practicing surgeon and building a practice uh, to have a bigger impact and do it in, uh, on a national stage in Washington, D.C. Uh, on behalf of children. So when I was interviewed for the uh, position by the board, uh, they asked me, why would you want to do that? And to me, uh, and I know they were looking at me thinking, you know, well, you've led this uh, successful uh, division of surgery. Uh, what, what is going to be the theme of your presidency? Why, it's not, what is next? Where, where, where are you going to take children's? And to me, it was really having an institution that had the children and the family at the heart of what it uh, did. And that I kept telling people, if we did that and put children and family at the top, the finances would follow. If we had the business objectives and the operational objectives, serving the patient and family, that all of the uh, financial issues that we were facing and different challenges uh, would uh, take care of themselves. And I, I found that that's, uh, uh, found that to be true. Uh, so, uh, if you could see the next slide, it would tell you uh, a little bit about our uh, hospital, uh, which is that the, uh, uh, and I'll just turn forward. Thank you. Uh, and just to set the stage a little bit, uh, our hospital uh, may be a little bit bigger than you, but uh, not, not too much di different. A big budget, lots of physicians and nurses. All of our physicians are employed. And we have almost 7,000 employees now, a big research enterprise, uh, big residency programs. And one of the, I think now, Jim, you'll have to help me here, 32 independent uh, uh, self-governed children's hospitals. And that number is coming down. Uh, and I think that's uh, uh, something we need to pay attention to uh, because I'm preaching to the uh, converted here and this is what my book was all about. But I think the best outcomes and the best focus on children comes in an uh, independent uh, children's hospital setting where everything is focused on kids and you're not having to uh, uh, duke it out, compete for resources uh, within an adult uh, health system. And so, uh, uh, like you, we have many outpatient centers and are through the region and folk school services. Uh, mental health, mobile health, all of those uh, uh, things. Now, uh, as I, I want to go back a little bit to the beginning here. The OBGYN people are calling in. <laughs> Can I decline that one? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Sorry, guys, but. Uh, uh, but to go back to um, uh, Boston and in pediatric surgery, a lot of things uh, start in Boston. Uh, and I learned uh, when I was at the uh, when I was at the Brigham about Robert Gross, and there's his textbook uh, there uh, in the middle, the the surgery of infancy and childhood, and he inspired uh, many people to go into uh, pediatric surgery, including Dr. Cook. Uh, and uh, Don, I don't know if you ever had the opportunity to uh, interact with him during your last resident. You were his last resident, so uh, and he he uh, really uh, uh, transformed the the field, wrote the book, and was a 
major force uh, uh, in Boston, but was the first uh, real pediatric heart surgeon and uh, taught uh, at Harvard. And I think many of you know the story of uh, the uh, uh, of his first uh, uh, heart surgery, which was a patent ductus arteriosus uh, ligation. And here's Dr. Gross with that uh, patient, and in 19, it was done in 1938. And he also had that uh, mantra about the infant or small child cannot be treated like a diminutive man or woman. And he uh, 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 did so many things, and I know uh, uh, that you're doing uh, those types of uh, operations here, and they're done by a pediatric surgeon. I think Brendan is uh, doing those, so I think it comes full circle here uh, with uh, pediatric surgeons uh, doing uh, heart surgery. Now, the reason I bring up Dr. Gross, and obviously, uh, this is not all going to be about history, but he trained my uh, uh, mentor, uh, Dr. Judd Randolph. And so uh, you might not know what that is uh, there, but that is a doorknob. And it's a special doorknob to me, but it's a special doorknob also because it came from operating room number three at the Boston Children's Hospital, was, which was where that uh, patent ductus our uh, uh, operation was done and when they tore down that operating room in 1956 Dr. Randolph was given that doorknob and now I have that doorknob and I thought about putting it on my door but I, I just can't uh, uh, do that but I, I bring that in to sort of trace the lineage of how things uh, how your mentors and your colleagues so I can uh, we do this in pediatric surgery. We're going to have our 50th anniversary of our association this year. It's the American Pediatric Surgery Association, and we're celebrating uh, the history. But uh, whenever I look at that, I just think about the courage of Dr. Gross to do that first heart operation. And if you look at the story, he, had, uh, even, he, he was worried that it might not work, but he had lined up a second case in case it didn't work. And his boss was away. <laughs> so uh, uh, it was a pretty... Uh, amazing thing to think about today. So uh, I really respect that kind of uh, tradition and I love uh, thinking back about our leaders and our mentors. And uh, so this, I mentioned Dr. Randolph a few times. This is Judd Randolph uh, when he was, he was the first pediatric surgeon in Washington, D.C., came in 1964. Uh, Richard, when did Dr. Uh, he was the first one in Hartford that was doing full uh, pediatric surgery? Uh, in 62. So it was around that time that, that uh, pediatric specialists were uh, uh, branching out across the country and, uh, and founding pediatric, uh, pediatric services. And Dr. Randolph taught, taught me so many lessons, and you uh, can read about the, uh, some of them in the book. He was from the South, and he had a lot of great uh, aphor aphorisms, and I'll bring those um, uh, uh, to you from time to time. Uh, during my talk here. Now, as I went through the, the Brigham, I had this uh, amazing opportunity to meet uh, just incredible uh, surgeons and, and, and learn lessons from them. And so one I wanted to highlight, uh, and that is, uh, as I think about uh, success as a surgeon and as a CEO, the first was mentors, so we talked about that. Uh, this one was around empathy. 
So this is a, a famous picture of the first kidney transplant operation, first successful uh, at the Brigham in 1954. And the surgeon uh, who is on the, uh, let's see if I can use this pointer maybe. Well, uh, is that, that's uh, Dr. Joe Murray. He was a plastic surgeon at the time, uh, but uh, won the Nobel Prize for doing the first uh, transplant. Uh, first successful or leading the team for the first successful transplant. So I was on his service my, as an intern uh, on plastic surgery. And as the intern, you had to take care of kids uh, both in the, on the adult side and on the pediatric side. And I was uh, interested in pediatric surgery, but I had to take care of these adult patients that had these uh, really uh, disfiguring operations and flaps and all sorts of uh, tubes and, and things. And it was very uh, distasteful to me. Uh, that's not what I wanted to do. I wanted to, you know, uh, do something very different. And so it was hard to take care of those uh, 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 patients. And I really uh, didn't like, even like going into the rooms and, and uh, having to deal with it. And there was one particularly grumpy guy that I just hated going in there. And Dr. Murray, uh, since that and he, he called me in and uh, gave me a, a, a great lesson and I was and it was all about empathy and that as a physician uh, you really had to take it all on and the whole patient and think about well what was that man thinking about with who'd had this big operation in cancer probably had a family and I didn't have any understanding of any of that so it was a huge lesson that this Nobel Prize winning surgeon would take me aside and say, look, if, if, if you're gonna be, um, if you're gonna be uh, successful uh, at this and you've got a lot of the skills, you, knew, you need to learn to be a whole physician and you learn, need to learn and be comfortable with taking care of the most difficult problems. And that was an important lesson to me, and, and one uh, that I kept coming back to, uh, that empathy was just as important as technical skill. And I think that's one of the things that I loved about pediatric surgery, that I saw that in many of uh, the surgeons and uh, teachers that I had, that they could combine this, uh, uh, their technical virtuosity which was there but with uh, but could embrace the, the whole uh, the whole patient uh, so then um, another uh, uh, critical uh, lesson I learned as I had an opportunity to now rotate through the uh, Boston Children's Hospital the chief of surgery at the time uh, uh, was Dr. Judah Folkman and Dr. Judah Folkman probably would have won a Nobel Prize had he lived. Uh, he really revolutionized the field of cancer therapy and uh, angiogenesis and sadly died, died early. But I was uh, on his service as a resident rotating in and we were taking care of a child with cystic fibrosis and he was uh, about 14, 15 years old, maybe a little older and was at the end stage. And there wasn't lung transplant at the time. We didn't all have all the medicines that we have uh, today. And I was the surgeon 
surgery resident assigned to the case, and he was really at the end stage and developed a little pneumothorax. And so everybody on the pulmonary team and his family focused on this pneumothorax and that that was the problem. You know, they weren't really seeing the, or they were maybe uh, in denial about what the overall outcome was gonna be. So I got called late at night to put in a chest tube in this, uh, what, and you know, maybe I should have not done it, maybe I should have, and I thought, well, I wanted to help, I put in a chest tube, and uh, it didn't help. And in fact, it probably made it worse uh, because there was an air leak and we were uh, uh, struggling uh, with that. And uh, then uh, the child, um, again, when I was on call, coded, and I went into the code and I could just feel everybody looking at me like, I had really been the one that uh, tipped uh, this kid over the edge and led to his code and he died. And I took it really hard. In fact, I thought at that time I might, you know, it's one of those moments where, is this worth it? Um, is this something that uh, I, I can do? Um, and I felt really responsible and I, I, I owned the case. And I was really uh, down in the dumps. And one of my resident uh, 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 colleagues, uh, who was a little ahead of me, he was the fellow at the time, Jay Vicani, some of you probably know Jay, kind of saw what was going on and told Dr. Folkman um, what was happening. And Dr. Folkman came and found me, and uh, we had a talk. And he, um, he shared with me, he thought he knew the situation. He knew that I did everything I could for that child. And he said to me, but you know, you're gonna save a lot more children in your career and you'll change their lives and, and give their families the greatest gifts that they could receive. So stick to it. And that gave me what, my, gave, gave me what I needed at that point in time where I could really see a bigger picture and that, uh, yes, it was disappointing, and, but I did my best and we had this whole team um, but to stick to it. Um, I didn't know it at the time, but I learned years later that he, he had his own child with cystic fibrosis. And uh, just to think about what he must have been feeling about that conversation uh, and how he was helping me overcome and teach me an important lesson. So I think for all of us that are teachers, mentors, you know, that's a gift uh, that we can give, that, that perspective because too often people focus on that immediacy, but there's a bigger picture out there. And it certainly was so valuable um, to me. So, <clears throat> can I get a little water if there's something? Um, one, of the <clears throat> one of the things I learned uh, along the way was how to, uh, and how to treasure valuable friendships in the residency, or back in medical school, and in fellowship. And, uh, you know, I, I've got Richard on here because uh, we became friends through, you know, the, just the circumstances of sharing uh, a career. And we realized at meetings and uh, different, uh, uh, different activities uh, that we had a lot in common 
and we liked each other. And it's just been such a valuable thing over the years to have that kind of professional collegiality. And so uh, I thank you, Richard, for, for your friendship. I want to point out two others, probably the most important people during my fellowship, if not my career, were the fellows on either side of me in my training program. And uh, this is uh, Bob Connors in the middle, and I have to correct Richard a little bit. And this was just this incredible uh, uh, serendipity. But Bob was a year ahead of me, he was a pediatric surgeon, but now he is the CEO of the DeVos Children's Hospital in, uh, in Michigan. And Bob uh, actually got that job before I did. Now the chances of having two pediatric surgery fellows end up being CEOs of Children's Hospital is probably, you can't calculate. But Bob has been a great friend and colleague along the years, uh, along the years. and you know, it just enriches uh, our careers to have those kind of friends. And the other is Mary Fallett, who was my uh, junior fellow, who was at Coser uh, Louisville Children's Hospital, and just been, has been a spectacular leader in pediatric surgery and in the bioethics of uh, pediatrics, and is very involved at the American Academy of, of Pediatrics. Now, I, uh, I talked about Dr. Randolph and uh, his aphorisms. So one of them was, you can never tell by looking at them how far a frog can jump. Now, I didn't say it in Southern, but uh, that was one of his favorite uh, uh, sayings. And the reason I brought this up, and I was telling this story a little bit, uh, this is Tyler uh, here uh, on, the, on the left. With the, Now, I met Tyler actually as a newborn, and Tyler had been flown to Children's. And, uh, um, okay, SunQuest. Uh, Tyler uh, had been flown to Children's. His mother was still uh, in the hospital uh, because we don't deliver babies uh, at our hospital. And uh, he was born with all of his uh, organs on the outside and it was a form of cloacal extrophy and a phallocele and he had amniotic bands. And it was the most amazing thing I'd ever seen. In fact, I didn't know what to do. And so I called in a consultant, uh, uh, Gil Rushton. I know there's a pediatric urologist here. Uh, Gil came in, he was a colleague, he was chief of urology, and we were trying to sort it out. And I uh, uh, called Dr. Randolph, I said, Dr. Randolph, and I started describing it to him. And now, today we'd probably take a picture of it and send it to him and whatnot, but, uh, and I, I got about halfway through the description, and he said, Kurt, I think you're on your own on this one. And, you know, not what I wanted to hear, but uh, 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 Gil and I were able to uh, do a few things, and that's one of the great things about pediatrics and pediatric surgeons and, and pediatricians, and it's a theme in my book, is we think forward. We're not just thinking about the situation that presents itself on that op operating room table that day or in our examination. Uh, office, we're thinking about what's going to happen for that child in the future. Uh, what, what is it that I'm going to do today, and how is that going to impact their future? Orthopedics, uh, you know, what's the growth plate or the airway? You know, how is that or the the brain? Uh, how is that concussion? And that's one of the wonderful things to think about pediatric pediatricians, pediatrics, and specialists, and children's hospitals, is that we're thinking into the future. What is, what, how are we gonna 
create the best potential and the best future for that child. So with Tyler, I didn't know that over the course of his life, I'd be operating on him over 22 times. I mean, that just, you know, I was just trying to get through that one operation. But 22 times, and I think you see here, uh, uh, he uh, grew up to be a great kid. Uh, he, uh, there's, uh, there I am with his mother. Uh, unfortunately, we couldn't really uh, reconstruct him so that he was continent uh, of uh, a stool. Uh, so that he has lived with a colostomy all that, that time. And, uh, you know, that gets to the point of Dr. Randolph's saying, you'll never know by looking at him how far a frog can jump. I mean, if you had looked at Tyler on that operating room table at that time, uh, we, uh, you know, we had no idea of his potential, but we stuck with it, and over that course of time, he, he's had a great, great life. Another uh, lesson I learned along the way, that, and it really came through an association with a, a parent, uh, and over on that um, side is a, was a businessman, a world-class businessman, uh, Joe Robert, and those are his two sons. I operate on the son on the, uh, on the far side there. And Joe, uh, he, after that experience, uh, he said, you know, you, he called me in and I thought, oh my God, he's gonna write a letter to the president of the hospital. You know, it was all nervous about how he couldn't sleep and people woke uh, him up and the pain management wasn't good and he, you know, the food wasn't good. And he said, uh, Kurt, you've got a lot of problems here, but I think I can help you. And that led to this great partnership he ended up being a huge philanthropist to Children's National and then helped us <clears throat> uh, get a, a major gift from um, the United Arab Emirates to build a institute for surgical innovation and then uh, here he is with some of his friends now sadly uh, he uh, died of a brain tumor uh, right as we were announcing this incredible uh, institute for surgical uh, in innovation but I understood uh, an important lesson from him was to think big and uh, focus on the future. And I went out to him with a plan one time because he had said, bring me a plan where uh, you are going to build the you know, best uh, department of pediatric surgery uh, in the world. And so I brought a plan and it was adding a few surgeons here, a couple of operating rooms, some new uh, techniques, maybe a couple of anesthesiologists. And he took a look at it and about a minute later, just tore it up and threw it in the fire. And I thought, oh, I'm, you know, this is the second time around him I thought I was done. But he said, no, think big. Think about what surgery for children should be like in the future and what that child's experience should be in the future and really innovate around that and create that. And so that was a different conversation and it was all around tools just for kid, for kids surgery or it was for pain management or imaging combined with uh, surgery to, uh, get, uh, to avoid surgery. And so it was just a valuable lesson to me to think big, to think about creativity and innovation and so we created that, uh, it's called the Sheikh Zayed Institute for Pediatric Surgical Innovation. And you see some of the themes that we uh, work on there. And we spun about uh, uh, 10 or 15 companies out of the work there over the last uh, eight or nine years. 
And here are the companies uh, that we have uh, that have come out of our um, uh, research institute. And in fact, it's gotten so successful and uh, has been a uh, such a great pathway and culture for Children's National uh, that we are uh, creating a new campus, uh, which will be in Walter Reed, I mentioned before. So this was the, uh, I don't know if anybody has served in the Army or was at Walter Reed, but it was the main medical center and research center for the U.S. Army. It was based in Washington, D.C. And we were able to get through an act of Congress 12 acres, and that uh, is the Armed Forces Institute of Pathology, the big white building, any pathologists in the, in the crowd. Uh, but uh, we are in the midst, and in, in 2020, we'll, we'll be opening up uh, this campus of research uh, for research and innovation for children uh, right in Washington, D.C. It's very close to the NIH, the FDA, uh, Children's National. And of course, one great thing is uh, over there on the right side, um, uh, is a thousand space parking garage. So in Washington, that's as good as gold. So, uh, uh, but we're excited about that and it'll be the um, um, uh, a testament to what can happen with uh, re around research and innovation. Uh, and here we are just last, two weeks ago announcing that uh, Johnson & Johnson will be locating a, a J Labs. It's their, uh, it's their model for uh, promoting innovation uh, in, in different locations. And that's our mayor, uh, Mayor Bowser, announcing, uh, and our chairman of the board, and me with a, uh, a bunch of people. So that uh, Johnson & Johnson will be hosting within this incubator accelerator about 30 or 40 companies, startup companies, that are focused on pediatric research and innovation. So if anybody has a startup and wants to come to Washington, uh, we've, got a, we've got a spot. Uh, for you. So uh, one of the key lessons then about once I became CEO was to uh, stay, and we were talking about this last night, uh, uh, Christine, about, she asked me what was one of the biggest challenges I had as a CEO. And I think uh, uh, partly, and, and Jim, I think you probably agree with this, is trying to maintain a balance between understanding real time what's happening on the front lines, what the care of children is really like in the emergency department at night, in the ICUs, out in our clinics. But at the same time, being at a level of uh, thinking and strategic uh, um, operations to uh, make decisions and uh, make smart decisions. And they go together. I think you need that uh, frontline information um, and connection, at least, it energizes me, and I get so much valuable information, and I think the great leaders of children's hospitals, uh, that, that's important. Now, a, another uh, theme that I uh, think is important, and I know this goes on at Con uh, Connecticut Children's, is to set goals and frameworks to achieve them. So we wanted to go like a lot of children's hospitals. This is a, uh, a uh, scorecard that comes out monthly and it has all of our uh, hospital acquired issues on there and different things that we're working on around harm and we're transparent about this we share this internally with our board uh, we're part of the solutions for patient safety and we share all of this inter but our goal here at our, our it was to zero get to zero harm and uh, then use this type of framework 
uh, to get there. And we're doing that all over our hospital uh, to uh, do, do that. And we look at external uh, rankings and measures and whether uh, it's LeapFrog or Magnet or U.S. News, whatever that framework is to drive improvement, we do that. And so I'm happy to say over the last five years, uh, again, like a lot of hospitals, we've really decreased uh, the hospital-acquired issues. Uh, we spent a lot of time on um, uh, unplanned extubations, for example, and that's an important one in children with the, in, in PICUs and, and NICUs that you don't see on the adult side so much. And so I think this is, uh, you know, it's good for, uh, good, good for our, our patients. And it's led to good results uh, because more and more uh, these rankings and ratings and all of the things that uh, people look at externally to drive performance or look at your brand. And I know you've uh, gotten some really uh, strong um, rankings lately in the U.S. News uh, and World Report, and I'm sure uh, that, that's going to go uh, up and up. Uh, but, but, but that's been good for us, and we've gotten uh, a lot of good, great recognition with Magnet and, and I'm sure Connecticut Children's. I could take out uh, Children's National and put Connecticut Children's uh, in there. And I think that's, uh, you know, a key uh, thing, particularly as these rankings and things become more metric-based. Uh, they're getting audited now. But one of the things I say, and I just do want to say this about um, U.S. News, it only ranks 10 specialties. And I think uh, there's a missed opportunity there. And I think as people start teaching to that test, uh, there's hospitals that are losing sight of, and I heard about some of the great work you all are doing in prevention and mental health and so forth. Because it doesn't, uh, we're not measuring impact on our community with these things. And so we're not looking at primary care, we're not looking at uh, mental health, we're not looking at school health or injury prevention or child abuse. And I think that's a big, big issue. Uh, so I don't wanna, um, again, I'll get off my, uh, uh, off the preaching there, uh, but these things need to be kept in perspective. Another lesson was to aim for the broadest possible impact. So I, I mentioned at one point, about why Washington, D.C. And, you know, we have big health disparities in Washington, D.C., despite it being the nation's capital. And this is a map of our uh, poverty in, our, in the city. Uh, and the red is the uh, uh, two wards uh, that are east of the Anacostia River. Everybody knows the Potomac River, which is the one on this side, but the Anacostia is that one that goes up between the red and the yellow. And as, as you can see, if you move from uh, east to west, uh, the, the green is, uh, is, and this is coverage by Medicaid or percent below the poverty line, uh, you see uh, that really uh, changes across the city. And uh, over half the children live in those two red wards. And that explains also why about 55% of our patients are on, uh, covered by Medicaid, uh, not only in the Washington, but also in Maryland and Virginia. And I have to explain that to this audience, but you wouldn't believe how few people understand that uh, uh, statistic about how many children in our country are covered by Medicaid. And it's unbelievable uh, when you think about it, um, and I'll, I'll come back to this in a, a second, but we embrace that 
the, those kids and reaching out to those kids. And here's an example of one of our outpatient clinics in that area. <clears throat> Another area we focus on is dental health, oral health, because so many kids, that's a, a, a problem. But what was amazing to me, and uh, Jim's been a big part of this, and I want to point out his leadership, and we just had a big success that I'll mention, but um, was the advocacy and the advocacy role and the responsibility we feel in Washington as the Children's Hospital in Washington to lead in that area. And here's uh, an op-ed I wrote in the Washington Post. This is a letter that Jim and I signed to the New York Times because we, I mentioned Medicaid, we were one vote away from taking apart the entire Medicaid program a year and a half ago, almost two years ago. And only John McCain really saved the day in a lot of ways. And if that had come apart, uh, the care and the coverage of these children would have been devastated. And you know, it's not over. I mean, these uh, battles are continuing to be uh, fought. Now there is some good news with all that advocacy. Um, and I'm, I'm pleased to um, uh, say, I think it was last week that the president signed a bill that included uh, uh, the ACE Kids Act, which improves the coverage of and the ability to cover the most complex children. And so this is a step forward. It was uh, a bipartisan. Uh, we've been working on this. I mean, you were a leader on this for at least four or five, maybe more, eight years, eight years of constant advocacy in Washington in trying to find different strategies to pass this one piece of legislation to secure uh, uh, better health care coverage for the most disabled and complex kids. So uh, kudos to the CEOs that were there from the start. And it, it, it was a big, uh, a big day for, for all of us uh, to see uh, that legislation uh, pass, particularly in this environment when you think about it. So back to Tyler, because in many ways, uh, Tyler was the hero of my book. Uh, and this is in August 2018. Now, when Tyler was going through all those 22, and let me just be clear, Tyler is the one here on the left. He's the dad in the picture, okay? So that I've kind of given away the, the uh, uh, you know, the final result here, but I never thought that Tyler would, you know, when I was seeing him on that operating room table would be, um, you know, make it through elementary school, middle school, but he, he made it through high school and I went to his high school graduation. And then he went on to college and he got a master's. <coughs> Knowing his anatomy and what everything that we had to do in all those operations and, and having a colostomy, I have to be, I have to admit there were times I thought, you know, he'll, he'll never even have a girlfriend probably. But let me tell you, he met the most wonderful wo uh, woman, young woman named Jessie and I went to their wedding, and it was the most emotional wedding I've ever been to. And then, you know, knowing everything that he'd been through and all the surgery and all of that, I never, ever thought that he'd be able to have his own children. So it was a shock when I got a phone call from him and said, Dr. Newman, I want to tell you that Jesse and I are going to have a baby. And then when he called me to say, it was a healthy baby boy, and that's uh, uh, Tyler there with his with his son, and uh, 
you know, I said to him, I said, well, Tyler, at least you know where to take him if he ever gets sick. You know, so we, had, we, had, we had a good laugh about that. Uh, but I think, uh, and I was talking with Richard about this. He was telling me about a long-term patient he had run into recently. Uh, one of the real satisfactions of our profession and uh, as doctors, nurses, researchers, staff, uh, is those long-time relationships and to see uh, children uh, grow up and uh, grow up strong and, and the families and just all the great things that they, they can achieve and have, and have played a role in helping them reach their full potential. So that's why I went into surgery and that's why I went into pediatric surgery and now that's why I'm proud to be leading one of the nation's great children's hospitals. Thank you very much.